Please be seated. We will go to Ephesians chapter 4. Continue in Ephesians. We've spent some time in chapter 4 now. The first five verses. Now we are in verse 6. And we will look at just verse 6 here this morning. But I will, I will read the context. I will read from, from verse 1. So that we will be reminded of the context here. So Paul writing to the Ephesians. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, putting up with one another in love, being eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, And through all and in all. So here we'll look at verse 6. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As we've seen here in this passage, Paul is, is exhorting the church, encouraging them to be unified. He encourages them into unity to keep the unity in the bonds of peace and he refers to the fact that God himself is one unity. He is the triune God. He is three persons in one God in unity. So because God himself is a unity, the church should also reflect that and be United and keep the unity together. And Paul here cites or writes a sort of a confession or a creed. So in the first three verses he, he, tell, he tells them, I exhort you to, to put up with one another, to be gentle and mild and to, to keep the unity by the bonds of peace. And then he goes on to this. Confession, confessional statement, where he states the the doctrine of the Trinity, confesses that God is one in three persons. He starts from from the opposite order as we are used to. We usually talk about first the Father, then the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. But here Paul He begins verse 4 with the Spirit and verse 5, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, the God the Father. So because God here, because of the fact that God is their Father, their common Father, He is the Father of all of them. The church is one family under one father. Therefore, 
the church should live in unity to keep the unity they are united into one family and need to keep this unity and live in unity with one another so begins here his names god the father one god and father of all this is the person of god the father he usually paul usually when he states the these creedal statements throughout his letters he says god the father the lord jesus christ for example in in romans 1 and 7 he writes grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ in this benediction in romans 1 and 7 and also in first corinthians 8 and 6 he says yet to us there is one god the father from whom are all things and we are for him and there is one lord jesus christ through whom all are all things and we are through him so paul he when he talks about the trinity the the persons of the godhead he ascribes the word god to the father and the word lord to jesus christ the son we usually say father son holy spirit paul usually says god the father the lord jesus christ and the holy spirit this doesn't mean that he teaches something different than the doctrine of the trinity it's just that's the way he expresses this truth he doesn't by this he doesn't deny that jesus christ the son is god or he doesn't deny that the father is the lord he just ascribes these different words to the different persons in his way we have examples from paul's letters for example where he says that christ is god jesus christ is god in romans 9 and 5 is a clear statement where he says christ according to human descent who is god over all blessed forever amen so he says that christ is god over all blessed forever the same thing goes when when uh, the word lord is used in the old testament that is not clearly exclusively about god the son about jesus christ before he became a man that's that's ascribed to the entire godhead god and also many many believe many have the notion that in the old testament it only talks about god the father some people say that in the old testament we have god the father he is a bit strict and angry and then we have the new testament when god the son comes in and he's he is more lenient or nice or whatever they say 
But that's, that's not true. It's true that God the Father is in the Old Testament. And there we can see that the Father is the Lord. But it's not only that it's only God the Father in the Old Testament. The whole Trinity is eternal. It's not only for the Old Testament or New Testament. But when we go over from the Old to the New Testament, we get more revelation through the apostles. We get more insight. We understand that there are several in a more clear way that there are three persons in the Godhead. And that Jesus Christ, the great revelation there is that the Messiah is God himself who has come down as a human being. So a foundational truth throughout all scripture is the fact that God is one. We have Deuteronomy 35. You yourselves were shown this wonder in order for you to acknowledge that Yahweh or the Lord is God there is no other God besides him. There is only one God. And we have the confession, the Shema, the Israelite confession. Here, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here we see how Paul expands this to include the, all the persons of the Trinity when he, he includes Jesus Christ as being the Lord, the one Lord. Not denying that the Father is the Lord or that Jesus is God. But that, that's how Paul expresses these truths. Then he goes on and says, we have one God and Father of all. He is the Father of all. The meaning of Father here <clears throat> is that... He is the one who begets us. He is our origin. We come from him. He has created us. He is also the one who provides for us. Who, who daily keeps us alive through his providence. Through the things in his creation that keep us alive. The food and also breath. And the fact that we are being kept alive God is our father in that sense that he, he has both fathered us, beget, begotten us, he has made us and he keeps fathering us, he keeps providing for us. And that is true that in this, sen in this sense God is the father, God can be said to be the father of all, all things. In that sense, that may be true, but right here in this context, Paul talks to the church. He, God is the father of his children in the church, the church. So by the word all, the father of all, he does not mean all people in the world, all who have ever lived he talks here about the unity in the church and that the church you have all the same father. 
many like to take this word all and say that this is about everyone in the whole world, everyone that have ever existed. But this is not, this is not what is meant here. He means all in the church and all in the church without exception. There is not some people who, some of the people of God in the church who are not also children of God, who do not also have God as their father. It's not a religion where some are a bit more special, some are God's more special children. And we have lower classes, or maybe some kind of servants or acolytes or whatever. No, all have, everyone in the church have God as their father. Everyone are children of God. And we know for a fact that this is not for every, all people in the world, all people outside the church. We know that. There are those who are the children of the devil, who are not God's children, who do not have God as their father. In 1 John 3 and 10 we read, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are evident. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, namely the one who does not love his brother. So those who do not love their brother or even, it's not even their brother in that case. Those who do not love, those who do not practice righteousness, those who are not in part of the church saved by the Lord Christ, saved by God, they are not the children of God. They are the children of the devil. So God cannot be said in this sense to, to be the father of all people. He talks here about the church. He goes on. He is, stands in some form of uh, relation to these all the church, all in the church. He is... Uh, Above all or over all, he is through all and he is in all. We shall look at what, what, this, what these things mean. What do these prepositions mean? How God is above all, through all and in all. First of all, God is of course above all creation, all creatures, all men, all people. It is said in Acts seventeen twenty eight of all creatures in him we live and move and have our being. And again it says in Jeremiah twenty three and twenty four where God speaks Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. So of course, God is above all things, all creation. He is above all creation. He fills all creation. He is in, we are in, all creation is in him. 
But that's not what he talks about here again. The context here that Paul is talking about, the context here is about the union of believers under one father, one and the same father, under God, the church, and his, then his relation to us as his father. What does it mean that he is our father in a special way? First, the word over is used or above. Literally, if you look at the grammar here, the grammatic structure, it should actually here be translated into personally before all or in the presence of all. He is, he is not far above at a distance, far up in the sky, or how people imagine God that he's somewhere far away up in heaven. Even Christians may imagine that God the Father is up in heaven somewhere and he's not really close to us or near to us. But actually, if you would take how this word should be translated here in this context when it's it's used here, you have uh, epipanton, which is uh, genitive and should be used as he is in the presence of all or before all, or as in Swedish, infer hus all. He is in the presence of all. In the church, of course, he is before all. Of the church, we have a nearness to God the Father, like a, a father is near to his children, is close to his children, cares about them, is looks at them, watches over them, and they are before him. The children are before him, the church is before him, so he is. He's above us, he's over us all, but he's not also, because of that, far away from us. He is close, closely above us, over us, watching over us, on us. So it's not from a distance. Then the word through is used. He is through all. Also again, all in the church. The problem is how can how how is God through us? What does that really mean? That God is through us. Does he exist through us? Is he dependent on us for his existence? Of course not. Some some in some way interpret this as being that he is Governing us, upholding the church, governing it. I, I still don't see how through, the word through can be used in that way. But we have another explanation that, that fits with this context. That we are his instruments. 
in some way. He, through us, he does things here on earth. Like, we can talk about how fathers live through their sons. The fathers want to have their sons do the things that they really wish that they would, would have done when they were in that age. Could be in that sense. We have that in context here. We have that God is working in the church, through the church, by his mighty power. That power that he worked in Christ's resurrection is now also working mightily in his church. We have that from the context. So maybe that means that he, through us, works in this world also we get that from 1 Corinthians 12 and 6 where he talks about the, the different gifts the different abilities we have in the church the different activities he says there are varieties of activities but the same God who works all things in all so the fact that we have we are many in the church, we are many individuals with many abilities, good at many different things, but we still are one union under one God who is the one who is working all these things through us. So that makes more most sense that that's how the word through is used here, that God is through us doing things, working by his mighty power in us and through us. And then, of course, in us is the next word he uses. He's the Father above in the presence of us, close to us, near to us. He works through us. He is through us. And he is also in us. Again, Paul seems to want to use as many prepositions as possible to explain how we are really united to God in one sense. How we are really close to God. That he is close to us. He is even in us. He is through us. He is over us. He is on us. Near us. In all different way. But here now. Again, here Paul doesn't talk about God's omnipresence. It is true that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But this is not what he talks about. He talks especially about the church. How he is united to his church. How he is in the church. Even God the Father dwells in us by his spirit it says earlier here in Ephesians that God here dwells in us we are a dwelling place of God by the spirit it doesn't mean that that the, the God the father and the son are at a distance up in heaven and not also present with us here that it's only the Holy Spirit that is living in us while the two other persons are away from us. You can't, 
We can't understand the Trinity, but we cannot separate the persons like that. By the Holy Spirit, God the Father and the Son are also dwelling in us. In some way, maybe we can't understand or explain. We don't understand how the different persons work or how this works. But we are really a dwelling place of God. The entire Godhead, not not just parts of God, not that. We can separate the Holy Spirit from God or separate the other persons and say that only one person of the Godhead is dwelling in us. But it happens by the Spirit dwelling in us also. In some way, God the Father is in us. God the Son even also is in us. We are a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And here, of course, he doesn't talk, doesn't talk about individuals. He talks about the, the church, how the church is this, this great temple being built together. As he talked in, in chapter previous chapter, that we are, we are being built together to become a holy temple to God. A dwelling place of God. So God is in the church. He dwells in his holy temple. The church by his spirit. He sanctifies us by the Holy Spirit. He has called us by the Holy Spirit. He has given us the new birth by the Holy Spirit. So he is our father because he has begotten us by the spirit. It's still not separated from God the father. He is our father. We are his children. He has begotten us. He keeps sanctify us by the spirit. He works in us, through us, in all the church members. He embraces everyone. He governs everyone. He dwells in everyone in the church. So the point here is that the church, the congregation of God, everyone in the congregation has one and the same father together. They have the same God the same spirit, the one spirit, the same Lord, the one Lord, Jesus Christ. They all have the same Father, God the Father, who is above them, close to them, through them, in them. One, Paul repeats this here, one, 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 Father, he repeats all, 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 three times, seven times for emphasis. All in the church have this one God in common 
together. This is what unites the church, that they are under one God, one and the same God. No different classes, no different families, no different ethnic groups. All are one under one and in Christ and the same Father of all, the same God and Father of all. And there is only one Father of the church, of the congregation. The church only has one Father, not several fathers. Jesus says this in Matthew 23 and 9. Do not call anyone your father on earth, for one is your heavenly father. There is no father on the earth. There is no no priest that we call our holy father or father. There is no pope over the church. No under fathers. There is no Pope. The word Pope comes from the word Papa, which means Father, Dad. No, there is only one Father of the Church, God the Father himself. So the Church, the congregation of God, is one family with one common Father. The Christian church is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one Father. This talks about the, the unity of the church, how they have something in common. Maybe we as church members don't have much in common other than the great common denominator. We have the same God. We have the same Lord. We have the same Father. The Father also has his role in saving his his uh, elect children. All the three, the three persons, those are the ones that have brought us into his family, into his church. They all have played their part in in bringing us into the church. So he says that we are baptized by one spirit to belong to one body. We have one true God, but three, this God in three persons in a perfect unity, perfect union. One God and the Father. The Father creates us. He also in salvation he provides for us he is the one that has elected us before the foundation of the world that's that's how how he begins this epistle paul begins the epistle by saying blessed is the god and father of our lord jesus christ the god And Father who has blessed us with all heavenly spiritual blessing in Christ. He has, the Father has 
elected us before the foundation of the world. The Father has predestined us to adoption. Adoption means that we become his children and he becomes our father. The Father has begotten us by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Father has a role and relationship toward God the Son, the Son, the person of the Son in the Godhead. This is not to try to explain the Trinity, but we have the statements that the different persons of the Trinity have different stand in relation to one another in different ways. So the Father has is said to have begotten the Son. That's what we read in Hebrews 1 and 5. The Son is superior to the angels. For to which of the angels did he ever say? God, the Father here speaking to the Son. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And again I will be his Father. And he will be my Son. So in the Trinity there is a person of the Father. Who is the Father of the Son. Who has begotten the Son. Who is the father of the son. And of course other ways in which they stand in relation to the son. To the to each other. We see also that the father has given the son. A people who would then become his sons. So Jesus prays to the father in John 17 and 11. He prays to the father. Holy father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So the Father and the Son are one. The God in himself is one. One unity. And in the same way, the Father has given a people to his Son, Who he is keeping so that they will also be one just as God is one. So this ties all things together. Everywhere we see this in the Bible. The fact that God is one. A unity in himself. A unity a plurality of persons, but a unity. God in himself is a union in himself. He's able to be that because he's three persons. And in that same way, therefore, his church shall be one. His church is United by this common thing that they have one and the same God who has united them 
who is keeping them. And therefore the church is encouraged here by Paul to keep this unity by the bonds of peace, which is the prince of peace himself. So the father gave the son a people and then the father sent the son to the world. And there we have, we all know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave it his only begotten son. So that all those who believe will not perish but have eternal life. So in salvation, God the Father elects us to adoption, elects us to salvation. He gives us as a people, his people to the Son. And then he sends the Son to carry out the salvation, to make it realized To go to the cross. He sent his only begotten son. Down to earth. To be. To suffer. To be beaten. To be ridiculed. To be mocked. To go to the cross. And die for those. Whom he had. Given. To him. He was to pay. The penalty for their sins. And purchase them to himself. To be one people united under him. To be his people. So that they would be his people. And he would be their God. He would be their father. Their Lord. So, the church has this one God in common who has saved them. And again, we may not have much else in common. If you would look at our lives, our interests, our activities, the things we, we do otherwise, the things we work with, our jobs, occupations... But we have one thing in common. We have one God. One and the same God. One and the same Father. We are the children of the same Father. We are of the same family. This is not how it's done in the world. We see here now wars going on. People want to bring unity in the world they want to bring peace in the world by waging war by by invading a country in order to unite this country wage war on this country in order to unite this country to your your own union whether it be Russia who invades and attacks Ukraine or whether it be NATO who who wants to bring in everyone also in a unity of military, of war. What brings them together is that they are to wage war together. They are to have their military union together. It's not 
peaceful or people write nations write treaties and agreements and peace treaties and all these things on paper it's all an attempt by man to unite unite themselves we saw that also in the tower of babel people try, were tried to unite themselves into one location and be one people living in one and the same location not by trusting in God to do it but by trying to do it by themselves by building this great tower that would be the the idol the symbol of their union same things are repeated throughout history people try to bring unity among themselves but they always fail because they really cannot do it they're not able to do it they will become proud in themselves they will start fighting within themselves there will they will still not truly be united but the church the church of god is divinely united not by attempts of men by arms of flesh by any man-made attempts it's only by god by the bonds of peace only because god and the father ephesians 1 and 3 chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love having predestined us to adoption churches as one family we see many see even this in in fa- in uh, families here on earth human families we see that even within families there is disunity we see children who have different fathers within the same family children have the same mother but they have different fathers they have their mother who has who has divorced or ha- haven't even cared about marriage she has ha- had children with many different men and these children are therefore it's not a unified family because they do not have the same father it's fighting their strife the children are are brought up in an unsafe unsecure environment there they don't get any consistent upbringing there is competition between the the siblings and all those things but the unity of the church is founded upon one and the same father and one and the same doctrine of the trinity that we are god's family god's household in 2:19 again consequently therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners you are fellow citizens of the saints 
and members of the household of God. He talks here about the different ethnicities, the Jews and Gentiles. It's not like that. You who were far away have now been brought close. You who were Gentiles, you who were outside the nation of Israel, you have now been brought close. Now you are one and the same family with all the saints, all the holy ones. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built up together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's how unity is, true unity is made. It's made by God, God doing it, God building it, God bringing in people, God uniting people under himself as one God. Christian families or families in general ought to be a, also a, a foretaste or a picture of this. The, the God uses the family as a picture of his church. And that's why the, his church is called a family. But it's the, the other way around. It's not that he, God takes, oh, we have this concept of families. Let's take that and use this to describe the church. It's actually in order to describe this great church, this great thing, this great work I am doing, I will put in creation families who can be pictures of this. And especially as Christians, when we understand this, we understand that our families ought to be pictures of of the church with the unity with the one father we who are fathers I guess I'm only speaking to myself have to also be a picture of God the father for our children if we do things wrong they will consequently have a wrong imagination of God they will picture God in the wrong way. The Bible tells us do not provoke your children. But, but uh, discipline them or foster them in the Lord. Again we see fathers trying to live through their children. They don't want their children to make the same mistakes as they did or maybe they want their children just because they couldn't become good sports players they want to push their children into being good sports players they try to push them hard to do that thing that they think that they should do which leads to the children resenting them instead it's a good thing to want to want to bring over your your heritage to your children to want them to 
carry on the work that, that you have begun, that you are doing to help them avoid your mistakes. But some fathers push this too far and start pushing their children, having high demands on their children that they themselves could never live up to. And this causes resentment, anger, this embitters the children. And so many people have said that, that because my father was such a person, that's, that's how I think God is also. Because my father pushed me, he was really strict, he was really harsh on me, he was really hard on me, angry. He punished me, and they have gotten this picture of, of God as well. Because God is the Father, God the Father. And fathers have a really important and delicate task not to give their children the wrong view of God by their behavior they're not also to be the other way around some fathers are lenient loose don't care how their children live they let them go do whatever they want fathers are to look at how God does how is God toward his children and model that and be Images in that way. And of course we have fathers and mothers in the family who are one. United. One flesh. And the children in the family. The family is one unit. Children of course. Fight among each other even if they have the same father. I don't mean that but children are to love love one another as brethren as 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 the church then is as a just as a family they there may be quarrels and fighting even between church members conflicts and strife we have seen many many examples of this here in other churches where just as natural siblings, they fight among another. But that's not the biblical, or the biblical view of family. It talks about love one another. Love thy brother. Love one another as brethren in the church. That's what we should picture. And you as an individual, you may have gotten a, a wrong view of God the Father by how your father has been. Do you have, really have a right, correct view of God the Father? Yes, our Heavenly Father does discipline us. He does chastise us. He has rules to us. We read in Hebrews 12 and 5. 
Have you completely forgotten the exhortation which instructs you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline or give up when you are corrected by him. He does chastise us as a father, as a loving father. But he also begets us, he nourishes us as a father. He provides for us, he loves us, he keeps us, he takes care of us all the way into eternity and throughout eternity. That's how God is our father for us. Is God the Father through us, through you? Have you given yourself as an instrument to God? Or do you see that rather it's God working through you? Is he through you? Is he working through you? Is God that close to you, God the Father? Do you, do you sense that he is so real to you? That he is so close to you, so near to you, so present to you. Do you live by this knowledge, this understanding that yes, you may not feel it. But you understand from his word that he is always close to you. He is always near to you. He is always watching over you. Of course, he always sees, watches you. He knows everything about you. We have this wonderful psalm that many people love. Psalm 139 verse 5 and 6. You, he talks to God. You barricade me behind and in front. And you set your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is set high I cannot prevail against it. Does this understanding create this inside you as the psalmist writes here? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot prevail against it. This fact that God is above you, in through, in you, through you, close to you, behind, in front, has his hand upon you. Watches over you. Do you see this effect in your life? But now of course if this is not real in your life. You may be. One of those. Who are not actually the children of God. But the children of the devil. Who are evident as I read from 1 John. Again, everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Namely, the one who does not love his brother. If these things mentioned aren't real in your life, you're not saved. You do not believe in Jesus for your salvation. You have not been justified. You are not living out this in sanctification you do not practice righteousness you do not love christians you do not love your brothers because they are not your brothers or even you do not love thy neighbor 
you are not practicing righteousness, you are showing yourself to be the children of the devil. Another thing that shows this is the fact that God is not your father is that the fact that he does not discipline you. He does not show this loving fatherly discipline when you go wrong, when you do wrong. You can live on in your sin completely blind to the consequences. You can live on in wickedness. You only see that in this wicked world that we're living in, the more you sin, the more you prosper. We read this in the book of Ecclesiastes. Several passages talk about how the, the wicked prosper while the righteous die young. The righteous are often poor while the wicked in this world are those who are rich, those who prosper. This fact is true because God does not discipline those who are not his children, those who are wicked and practice lawlessness and wickedness, will not be disciplined. And you, if you are like that, you may prosper. You may live a good life, enjoy sin for the rest of your life without any warning. But then at the end, when you finally come to that great throne, you will give an account to God for how you have lived and you have no excuse and you will be condemned eternally and we we were all like that once in our lives there was a time even in the lives of an elect person when they were not yet adopted when they were still a children of the devil but in time adoption happens and a children of the devil will be adopted to become a children, a child of God. So such were all of us. And you, if you are not a child of God right now and you understand this, there is hope for you. Christ Jesus died for sinners if you hear this message of Christ who died, took the punishment for your sins so that you will not have to go to the lake of fire under wrath, the wrath of God in eternity. If you repent and trust in him who has died and rose again, he will forgive you his blood is enough to cleanse you from all sins, to forgive you, to justify you, and to give you eternal life. And those who repent have shown themselves to have been born by the Spirit, will be adopted, and the children of God. So there is not many gods, many different gods, many different ways to God, different classes of people. There is only one God, only one Father, only one Son, only one Holy Spirit. The Church, the children of God, all have one and the same Father. 
and should therefore preserve this unity because God is a unity. Let's end with a word of prayer. God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these, these facts that we have read and heard about, that you are our God and Father who is ever-present with us, near us, not far above, above us, but not far away, near and close to us, through us and in us, everywhere. Lord, these are facts, these are knowledge, these, these are words that we have heard. Father, make this so that we understand it really, truly, in a real sense. Make that clear to us. So that we trust you more, that we rely more on you, that we rely on you to preserve the church unity. Help us, help us to do, do this and keep unity as we are one, one family with one and the same father, that there should not be strifes among us. Make that real to us. Apply that to our hearts. Make it so that we really realize this. Understand this. Glorify yourself in our lives. In our church. By your church. And Lord we pray that you will adopt and bring in many of your elect. Make them your children. And save them. And bring them in and unite them to us. We pray this for your glory alone. Amen. Amen.